Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lions Den podcast. This is episode number 31. I'm your host, Fatty, and I got a very special guest in the building today. Well, not really in the building, in the hypothetical building, the COVID building. We got uh, a friend of mine who I've known for quite some time now, and uh, I'm very excited to pick his brain. Uh, He went into a field that I had considered a little bit when I was... Uh, you know, just coming out of university, but I did not pursue. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy he joined me today. Uh, everyone, welcome. Andrew Michael. Andrew, how are you? Very good, Fatty. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, congratulations. You're a newlywed. That I am, yes. <laughs> Congrats to you and, and the wife, man. How's it been since you guys uh, got married? You you were a COVID wedding. So how was uh, everything around that? Honestly, planning around a COVID wedding has both its blessings as well as its curses. Blessings in the fact that because of COVID, we we got to uh, skip over a lot of the formalities of a large reception um, and the whining and dining, really. Yeah, for sure. But the obstacle really was the restrictions in church, uh, how many people we could have there. So a lot of close friends or family uh, weren't even able to make it. So it was a little bit of a a balancing act between the two in those regards. Yeah, I bet. that's uh, It's very challenging. It, it's almost like it, there's pros and cons to it, but I think there's far more cons than there would be pros. I don't know, to each their own, uh, but uh, definitely a, a handful of challenges you have to overcome to get that done. But congratulations to you guys. Honestly, on my end, I, I preferred it. Um, yeah. Both her and I, we weren't a fan of the idea of a big uh, wedding and, and show. We we just wanted something a little bit more low-key. And, and COVID was our blessing in disguise to say, like, <laughs> look, it's it's not us. It's the rules and regulations. we got to follow through. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's That's the positive takeaway from all this. Exactly. Now let's let's talk a little bit about business. You know, this is the reason why I wanted you on here. Um, so let's let's just tell our listeners what it is that your current position is, Andrew. For sure. Uh, so I'm actually one of the partners at a financial planning and wealth management firm. Uh, we're a boutique wealth management firm uh, called Bristol Capital. Very interesting. Now, what do you mean by boutique? What is that? definition um so the idea is we're stepping away from the traditional um just product-centered service to really offering a more uh holistic approach to wealth management so the, the very simple philosophy is at the end of the day people are setting aside their money um to finance some sort of goal whether it be retirement home purchase Um, education, the list goes on and on and on. Um, And as opposed to the traditional approach where you're just investing for the sake of investing, we kind of come up with a more uh, holistic approach as to what is this money being used for? What's the most tax efficient means of financing that goal? Um, What's the least amount of risk we need to take in order to achieve the goal as well? Okay, fair enough. So you're you're pretty much doing like a holistic picture, a whole picture kind of thing, big picture approach to the situation, and you're obviously tailoring it very personally to each client of yours, depending on their their case. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Now this is a perfect time to tell everyone that at the end of the episode, we're actually going to be doing uh, a sample where you're going to be uh, telling people how to save for, up for a home. Um, so I think that's very interesting for people. So. Don't don't turn it off halfway through. You're gonna want to listen to the end. It's it's a very interesting thing. I'm personally looking forward to it. 
Um, but let's go back. So what what did you do in school? Like, what was your educational background? Because I know that the career that you chose is one of those things where you can pretty much do anything in school and then just get your licensing. And if you get the licensing, it's you can run with it. It's really in your hands. So what was your educational background is the first part. And how did you get into doing this would be the second part. Honestly, it was a little bit of a roller coaster. So for those that know me, initially, my goal was med school. Um, and then a lot of things kind of twisted and turned through God's hand, which was really a blessing in disguise. Uh, final, final stop, I ended up going to uh, Ryerson. I did a double major in math and economics with a minor in finance. Um, and in terms of going to um, start in the area of, of work that I'm in now, um, I actually went to a career fair in, uh, in a, a library or of some sort um, or community center, rather. Um, and I, that's where I met my current partner. Uh, at the time, he was interviewing for uh, Manulife Securities, which is where he was. Um, and... Honestly, this guy terrified me. The way he <laughs> talked about the industry, I was absolutely petrified. Uh, my dad told me to go in uh, to take the interview since I got it, um, just as practice. And during the interview, I learned so much about the industry, both the good and the bad. Um that I immediately took it as a challenge. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to succeed in this. I know what it takes now. Um, and it's really an input game. And I can give input. So let, let's test this out. So it was a lot of like little um, things that just fell into place. Um, but truly a blessing that all of it happened all at, when it did. Okay, wow. Very interesting. So I did not know personally that you wanted to do med school and that that was your passion. So very interesting twist from science to math slash finance. Um, how old were you when you decided that finance is the route that you wanted to go? Like, was that because you, you, I'm assuming you pursued science and then decided that that's not the path for you and then moved over to finance and math? Yeah, so to... So it was really a, a two-year process right after high school. Um, okay, okay. I graduated high school with high 90 average. Um, I didn't like the idea of the Canadian system where you need to go through undergrad for the chance to get into med school. It, it, there wasn't enough security there for me, which is sure, ironic in terms of my line of work now. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Um, but so I applied internationally and I got into a whole bunch of schools internationally, but my Lord, the tuition is egregious. Oh. Um, I remember the, the highest financing any bank would give you was $200,000 line of credit for international med schools. Um, but tuition was almost 600,000. And here wow. I am thinking to myself, whatever job I have while in med school to come up with another 400,000 over six years, I might as well do that. <laughs> exactly. <though. laughs> um, so, so I figured maybe med school wasn't the best idea. I didn't want to necessarily discard it entirely. So I did math as my undergrad to, to have some sort of backup in case I don't get into med school. Mm -hmm. And then I got obsessed with math. 
um, and I wanted to do business as well. But restarting another year wasn't an option, so I kind of made my own business degree with the double major in math and econ and then the minor in finance. Oh, interesting. So you said something that not many people say. You said you fell in love with math. Yes. Like, what does that mean? How does one fall in love with math? That is, that seems like a, like, what was it about math that drew you in? Like, was it the, just, you know, you like numbers? Like, what is it about it? So my issue with science, so background, I went to U of T first year, did kinesiology. And I walked out of an anatomy exam thinking I killed it. Um, I thought I got high 90 for sure. Got my grade back. It was 33%. Oh, class, wow. Class average was 15%. And I got the second highest mark in the class. And I'm like, you know what? You can't apply to med school with these kinds of grades. Science can very often be subjective just based off of the grading perspective. I need something concrete. Math, it's right or it's wrong. Does this equation equal that number? Yes or no. And then can you, in the future, math is really not numbers anymore. It's proofs, which yeah, yeah. Is, is not pleasant, but it's all a very linear way of thinking. Um, two plus two always equals four, and there's no argument against it. Okay, that's fair. That's a very good uh, explanation of how one can fall in love with math. Like I, I enjoyed that, you know, I, and I can understand that because numbers don't lie. And mm-hmm. like th- what draws me, I, I prefer, I don't want to say numbers in math because I never w- excelled in math in school. Um, but one of my passions is is like basketball, and I'm obsessed with stats and analytics. And because I think you know it's the same thing. You know, numbers don't lie; they show trends, and based on these trends, we can deduce what's happening, where to improve, and what to focus on. And I really enjoy that part of it as well. Now, exactly. For many people um, in our community, I don't know if you personally know that many people in your line of business, but I I only know a handful of people. Um, so I don't think that many people are very familiar with, you know, the path or, or the things that you need to do to get to to being, you know, a, a financial advisor. So can you talk about the licensing process? Uh, what's the license called? How many exams do you have to take? Because uh, you and I were doing our exams at the same time, but I was doing insurance and you were right. doing um, this, uh, so what's the, what's the license for you called? So, so for us, it's two licensing exams. Um, honestly, I'm a little disappointed with how easy they are. The barriers to entry, unfortunately in our industry are quite low. Um, so you need to do two exams. The first one is the Canadian securities course and the conduct practices handbook. Um, so these are both offered through the Canadian securities Institute um and and really they're they're self-study they send you a textbook you study the textbook and whenever you want within a year go write the exam so it's it's pretty straightforward honestly at the canadian securities course it's a first year finance course um and then the canadian practices handbook it's more rules regulations and ethics um and, and really, that's the content that you need in order to become uh, a licensed investment advisor. Oh, and oh, 90 days of supervised training. 
Okay, now does that supervised training have to come under someone who's also licensed, or like what does that what does that entail? So it would need to be through somebody who's licensed with uh, a registered firm in general. So you can't okay. go to um, John Smith uh, Institution. It has to be a, a legitimate investment firm. Okay, um, that's registered through IROC, which is. Uh, the regulatory organ of Canada for investments. Okay, very interesting. So you you did your licensing exam, you got in, you're like, this is a joke. What are these two tests that I'm doing here? It's, you know, I did this all in first year. You get in and then you realize you're like, okay, low, low barrier. And you brought this up. You said low barrier to entry, meaning there's a million other people in the world that do what you do or have the license to do what you do, right? So yeah. off the bat, did you feel as overwhelmed as I felt? Because when I hit the field for insurance, it was overwhelming. It's like, okay, now the world is your oyster, and but now you have to go not just convince people um, to to trust in you, to have faith in you, but you also have to learn the market. You have to learn the rules of the market. You have to learn different regulations. Like for insurance, there's different etiquettes that you got to learn. So can you just talk about the challenges you faced right when you you know hit the hit the street almost like right, right when you got out there oh my god it was terrifying so yeah first off i didn't even realize really the extent of what i was getting myself into i was expecting because i started at many life i was expecting yeah the goal is investment advisor i thought they would have me starting off by doing some calculations in the back calculating risk and whatnot on my first day, they told me to pick up the phone and call someone. And yeah. I looked at my partner blankly. I'm like, who am I calling? Why am I calling them? And what are we doing here? I was an antisocial math nerd. I did not <laughs> talk to people. Um, and it was a huge shift for me. And then I realized, uh, so when I started in what we called my school, uh, there were 10 of us. And I saw all around uh, the entire office, there was probably like 40 people in a boiler room just making calls. And I quickly learned that this is the name of the game. If you want to bring in a client, you got to make a whole bunch of calls. And to me, I, they'd give you like a, a residential list of a couple uh, hundred like or 1,500, 2,000 numbers, and they just tell you to call them. And I realized that every number on the other end of that uh, call is a potential paycheck. So I was averaging like 650, 700 calls a day, working nine to nine, Monday to Friday, wow. to buy myself a car because I needed to get off the bus ASAP. What was a 15-minute drive was an hour and 15-minute bus ride each way. So it was killing me. That's so, crazy. So so I used the pressure of sleep deprivation to motivate <laughs> me to, to get a car just so that I can have a more sustainable means of working going forward. Yeah. Okay. So so you started out a little bit different than me. Um, we both did feel the overwhelming you know, aspect of this is a whole industry and there's so many people that do what we do and how do we set ourselves apart and all that? Um, it sounded like you had a bit more structure in the sense where you were uh, employed at a place that, you know, made you do the calls and almost, I don't want to say forced you, but essentially forced you to, to get in the habit and the groove of making calls and, 
And that like that routine and that pattern helps so much. When you just keep calling and keep getting rejected over and over and over again, you learn to literally not care. And that was for me before school, that was a concept that was foreign to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I was too scared of making those calls. You know what I mean? Like I was like, they don't want to hear from me. Like why, why do they want to hear from me in the evening? Like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So, um, for sure that is, you know, its own hurdle. Now let's talk about when you decided to break off from doing that and, and being self-employed because you were, I'm assuming employed in the beginning, right? When you were making those calls in the boiler room, was that an employed like salaried position or were you still making commission only? No, it was always commission based. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Um, and, and, and to be honest, like, it seems challenging, and, and yes, there was the structure that was there in place, but this was all competitive, internally yeah, yeah. set up on our own. You look around, and at any day, you realize that your buddy might just not show up again because he decided that he got told uh, he was that they weren't interested one too many times, and it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Or you'll have somebody who... Um, is about to become a client and then for whatever reason they back out and and you're just so distressed from these kinds of things which is normal unfortunately in our industry this is normal at the end of the day you're managing somebody's life savings and to you as a business professional um, you realize look these are the reasons why you should become a client and it's just a simple transaction for you Um, but for them it's it's literally their life savings They've been dealing with whatever advisor that they've been dealing with for the longest time. The idea of just jumping and making a change uh, based off of a phone call obviously isn't easy. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So so building that trust and rapport was really the key to any sort of success, especially in our industry. And, and, and I'll backtrack for a second. Unfortunately, um, in our industry, we're... we're uh, rated less trustworthy than plumbers and mechanics now. Wow. So, so it's getting bad. Um, and even at my time in Manulife, I saw it clearly. When we were there, we were just being used as a sales force to sell and recommend Manulife products. Even if it wasn't necessarily the best situation for the client. Uh, Doesn't matter. It, exactly. Um, and yes, we would get compensated with higher commissions for doing that, but we're young. We're not looking to retire anytime soon. We don't want to have a couple extra bucks jeopardizing our relationship with actual client. Right. Okay. So, so, so that's why we actually took that step to go independent um, and and remove ourselves from any asset management company. So this is the exact same situation that you'll find at any of the bank-owned firms, um, IG, Primerica. They're all selling their own proprietary products, which in of itself is an inherent conflict of interest. So we looked around for a firm uh, that doesn't have any proprietary products and gives us the platform to run our practice independently. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. That's structured a little bit differently in, than insurance in the sense where most insurance brokerages, if they're not the company itself, are brokered to sell different company products to avoid that, you know, to, to be able to tailor each thing to the person. Because 
you know, one company may be beneficial for a family, but the other might be beneficial to another rather than slapping both with the same company. Right. Um, exactly. Wow, very interesting. It's, it is a little bit different. So building a client base in this industry, Andrew, as I'm sure, you know, is probably one of the hardest things ever. Um, for me personally, from an insurance perspective, I found that being younger really hurt because a lot of the trustworthy, reliable people have been in the industry for quite some time. Uh, and that was one of the barriers that I felt. Um, when you had those lows, uh, first of all, can you explain you know, what those lows were and how did you get yourself out of them? Because obviously you are where you are now, so you got out of them. But like you said, many times people don't. Um. Honestly, so there's been a whole plethora of different things that gave me lows. Um, the Manulife office that I started at had some very serious um, integrity issues at play there that had me really further questioning the industry after the terrifying interview I had with my partner to begin with. Um, and then we had um, uh, a whole situation where um, I had a whole bunch of prospects coming into what we call the pipeline. Um, and when I say a whole bunch, I was talk I'm talking about uh, tens of millions of dollars in assets coming in. Um, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, uh, they didn't come through. And it was a tragic experience. I had all these kinds of plans lined up um, to really expand the practice and as well personally to actually feed myself a little bit better and things like that. Um, and, and everything got stunted just because uh, there was a, there, everything just paused for a moment. Um, and it was uh, ridiculously difficult to pick back up where we stopped. Um, so that was really one thing. But really realizing that no matter what business you're in, you should never think of it as a get-rich-quick scheme. If it is, then everybody would be doing it already. And yes, in my head also, I am young. Um, to me, I actually kind of use that as an asset um, because the average age of an investment advisor in the industry today is high 50s. So these people are retiring in the next little while, which means there needs to be younger people there to service these clients where their advisors are retiring. Mm -hmm. So yes. by building yourself up before this massive transition of wealth, um, both, yes, in the form of baby boomers passing on uh, their estates, but also these advisors who are also baby boomers just succession planning and, and selling their uh, books of business um, because they need to retire, um, having that base there already and the structure to be able to service the clients well when that time comes, to me was a no-brainer. Um, and at the same time, because we're younger, uh, we have a lot more work ethic than somebody who's been in the industry for uh, 30, 40 years it's a tiring industry. Yeah, for sure. So so we, we use that to our advantage to really crack out any um, areas of opportunity for our clients. You guys went and you started your own thing, right? So now you're, you're, you're private, you're doing your thing, 
yes, you are with a, a company that you're using the name, but it is your business. You're building the business, your own book of business and stuff like that. I want to hear, you know, what has the process been like for you guys since you got your own thing in building your clientele? Have you brought over clientele that you were dealing with before or did you kind of have to start over again when you left? So we had like a massive legal battle costing like a couple, uh, a, a, um, just under 100 Gs wow. um, in, in lawyer fees dealing with uh, with the previous uh, branch owner at Manulife, um, fighting over keeping our clients. And then as well, you have to talk to your clients to make sure that they're comfortable moving because obviously some people are going to be interested in the name Manulife and some sure, people are going to be interested in you yourself. Um, no, but I ended up leaving. We won the court case. Uh, we got to keep our clients. Um, I had one individual who left out of a massive, uh, client base. Uh, so, and he was just interested in the name of Manulife. So, which was fine. That wasn't a problem. We kind of, uh, left him for the previous, uh, firm just because as like, uh, a little token of our appreciation for everything they've done for us. Um, and then uh, we we moved over to uh, Aligned Capital. That's the name of the company that gave us the platform um, and opened up Bristol Capital since then. And it was, it was weird. There was so many little changes as we go through court cases, trying to keep our clients and pay for office space at the same time. Um, and then as we also try to grow it, um, because we used to have this massive team around us and now it was just the two of us. Um, and since then we've grown it to four licensed advisors, six supporting staff and four other associates that we're now training to become advisors as well. Wow, so, dude, that's huge. Yeah. So like, and at one point, I'm, are you familiar with Intelligent Office or Regis, the yes. shared office yes. spaces? Yes, I so, am. So we started there, and there was at one point 10 of us in two offices, and it was like an office the size of like a small one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> um, and, and there's literally four of us in one office just making calls right next to each other. It was chaos. Um, and then COVID came around, which was another blessing again, because corporate real estate took a beating. So we were able to find an office space literally just down the road that was five times the size at the same price. Wow. So it, things have been moving like crazy. Um, and it's just constantly chasing after what's the next best thing um, for everybody in play while also not jeopardizing the stability of what we've got going on right now um, and, you know, being going too far where we can't sustain this currently. Very interesting, man. So can you just give the, our listeners a brief into what products do you guys offer? Like what kind of people do you deal with? I just want to, I want people to understand better, like, if if they could use your services, right? Like, I want them to understand what it is that people go to you for. Yeah, so um, really simple answer would be uh, individuals with a significant amount of uh, assets. 
So let's say three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars plus. Um, our individuals all cater to. Really, my services begin to shine the most as you're planning for retirement. So people, let's say uh, late forties um, to to early sixties, really planning for retirement and trying to figure out what's the best way to minimize the taxes that you're paying now on your investments, what steps you can take from now in order to help you to minimize the tax burden when you actually come to take money from your investments during retirement, and how all of your um, investment accounts plus your government pensions and all these things will work in unison to finance your retirement as well. So it's really looking at every single... um, aspect of a person's financial goals and and integrating it all into one holistic plan now not to say that our only target clientele um are are people who are planning for retirement but uh we also cater um to uh individuals that we call henry's so high earning but not rich yet um to help them (laughs) Exactly. It's it's funny. We have like a little, we have a little joke going in around the office in that regard. Um, the whole idea is to help these individuals ensure that they don't make the same mistakes that we've seen. People lose literally tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, over the course of of their uh, service with their advisor. Have you seen the Quest Trade ads by any chance? I have, yes. So they're famous for firing their advisor and saying, you can keep 30% more of your net wealth. And honestly, when I first saw this ad, I was, I was appalled. I'm like, wow, they're, they're aggressive. They're, they're, there's no way that's legitimate. And then as I continued in the industry and see, seen how much some people are paying and they're not even aware that they're paying, it's actually true. I've met with people where the fees that they're paying are, are taking up more than 50% of their net worth. And, wow. and, they're, and they're surprised that they're not making money with their advisor. I'm like, your, your portfolio is designed to generate 4% in returns. Your fees are three and a quarter. How are you going to make money like this? Every That's year you're losing up. money to inflation. That's messed up. Do you guys help more individuals or businesses or do you do both? Both. Both. Okay. Um, and honestly, if you're a business owner, there's so much extra tax planning strategies um, and also so many other things you need to be work uh, uh, concerned about. For example, um, quick crash course. Any business, there's two types of income that you can generate. One is active income. So that's income that you're generating from uh, the goods or the services that your company provides. So pharmacy, selling medication, counseling, things like that. And then there's passive income. So that's income that's generated from outside of the active business. So an investment portfolio, real estate, um, things along those lines. Uh, and the issue is passive income is taxed at the at the highest rate, which is over 50%. Um, active income is taxed at 15%. So you want to make sure that there's a way that you're not distributing income in the business until you actually need the money. 
So that way you defer the tax bill for as long as possible, let that tax money work for you in the meantime, and then you pay the tax, let's say, 20, 30 years down the road when you actually need the money. Mm-hmm. So like, there's so many other things to know about uh, when dealing with businesses um, that literally I've never met somebody that's been taking advantage of it to the fullest extent yet. That's very, very interesting, man. And you'd think that people who've been, you know, doing this for quite some time would know this, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people aren't even aware of the fees that are getting taken out of their account. You know, when it's, you make a certain amount of money, I feel like you don't even feel it. It's it's not that. It's not that it's taken out of the account. That's the biggest issue. It's taken out of the return, so they don't even need to disclose it. Um, there's been a huge push for more disclosure where now they have to disclose uh, the compensation that goes directly to the advisor, but they don't have to disclose the fee that's going um, to the company that's actually managing the money. So, for example, you buy a mutual fund. The cost of the mutual fund is, let's say, 2.5%. 1% of it goes to the advisor as a compensation. The other 1.5%, the client doesn't even know um, and is getting paid from the returns to um, the asset management company that's managing the money for them. Very so, like, interesting, man. There's so many little crooks and crannies that people aren't aware of. Um, that's really detrimenting their retirement over the long term. As as an associate, how do you learn these little things? Like, how do you learn these? Like, I don't even know how you put it. I don't want to repeat it because I don't even know what the expression was that you said. But how do you, as a as an associate, learn these little things? So at the end of the day, when you're we're making these calls, the whole idea is to meet them and compete for the management of their investments. I'm not going to try and claim that I can outperform the market and chase an extra 1% or 2% rate of return um, because, A, markets, um, it, there's a lot of market research that indicates that that doesn't work anymore. But pa- moving past that, um, it's not guaranteed. An extra 1% or 2% rate of return in the market isn't guaranteed. But taxes and fees are. And when you're looking at fees... You're talking about saving people like an extra 1% or 2% every year on, let's say, a million-dollar portfolio. That's significant. And then you go and you look at also um, the, the type of people that would have that kind of savings. Their tax bracket's probably between 40 and 50%. So this has a much bigger impact on somebody's retirement than an extra 1% or 2%, and it's guaranteed. So by digging into what's really available for people in their situation um, and showing them black and white on, on paper, look, you're paying right now $45,000 a year in fees. If you sign on this line, your fee will be uh, $10,000 a year. And it's just like, whoa, really? It, it's that big of a difference? And yeah. That's true. And then on top of that, you have all of these tax planning strategies, which are going to put more money in your pocket down the road as well. Interesting. Cool, man. That's uh, I'm learning so much. I'm, I'm literally sitting here like absorbing all this information like a student. And I'm asking it like I gave you a list of questions and I'm asking you like 
way different questions than what we had prepared before because I'm just trying to figure this out as we go on in the conversation. I hope you don't mind. No, no, not at all. I get bombarded with different questions from prospects, from clients all the time. Yeah. So I, I'm well scripted, I guess I could say. <laughs> For sure. Now let's uh, let's move into our little activity slash segment that we wanted to do. Um, the the whole thing was I wanted you to talk to some someone, uh, not someone, talk to everyone. I think we're going to choose a sample annual income. Um, but everyone is at some point going to have to buy their first home, right? Um, I mean, hopefully you're not going to rent your whole life and there is some sort of plan to buy. Um, but as we all know, in the GTA, in Mississauga, wherever you're from, buying a house is tough. It's expensive. Um, we don't really know how to prepare for it. So I figured we would have an expert come in and you know, tell us how we can go about saving or building a plan that'll help us get to that goal of purchasing a first home. So I'll just uh, I'll let you take it away from here. Okay, cool. So for bread and butter of this whole concept is something called the first time home buyer's plan. Okay? And what this is is you're allowed to borrow your own money from your own investment accounts tax-free up to $35,000 towards the down payment on any home that you purchase. Now, you heard me say RSP, probably don't know what that is. And quick, quick, quick crash course. It's an investment account that's set up with the CRA um, that allows you to reduce your income by whatever you contribute in that year. So let's say um, a person with $50,000 of income, like you said, um, and they put in uh, $5,000 into their RSP, which stands for Registered Retirement Savings Plan. Um, for tax purposes, their income is only 45000 okay? And um, they don't need to pay taxes on this money unless they take it out. Um, so let's say next year they take it out, they, they take out $5,000, uh, their tax that year would be $55,000. Um, but with this home buyer's plan, you're able to take out the $35,000 from your RRSP without paying any taxes under the premise that you repay it. That's why it's a loan um, over 15 year period. Now, the cool thing about this is you get to um, put your money into it. So somebody who's making uh, $50,000 in income their marginal tax bracket's probably going to be around uh, mid-20s to uh, low-30s um, as a tax bracket. So that $5,000 that you put in, let's say, will come back with 30% um, tax back that you're getting, um, plus the market growth in the portfolio as well. So in an RSP, you can buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you name it, okay? Um, and then uh, using this, plus also your spouses. So usually people, uh, if they're going to be buying a home, it's going to be tough to do it on your own just with the prices nowadays. Um, so you could use 35000 each. And let's say you run into money trouble and you're strapped for cash, which is probably normal for the first year or two of, of owning a new home. Um, it's not a big concern. You take that 35000 divide it by 15, and you just add that much um, in, in income 
towards your taxes for that year, worst case scenario. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh my God, how am I going to save 35 grand? That's insane. It is uh, insane. <laughs> it feels like it's insane. So as Coptics, we're told, put 10% of your money away for tithes. Okay? I'm not even saying 10%. Uh, I am saying 10%. So if you just put $500 a month for five years with a very modest rate of return, let's say 6% a year, which is modest, okay? After five years, you're going to have yourself that $35,000 in savings, okay? And that's excluding the 30% tax kickback that you're getting. So if you included the 30% tax kickback, you're actual portfolio would be 42,000. And that's based on saving how much you said? $500 a month, which which seems egregious. That or is that egregious? I don't know. Well, like it depends, right? Because someone who's making the income that you said, like it depends on their lip, their situation, are they paying rent or are they living at home? Um do they have bills? That there's so many things. Like if they have if I think if they're making 45,000 and they're paying full bills, it might be tough, but I don't know. So so uh, if we're working under the assumption that it's a couple doing this, I think it's okay. very reasonable. It's very definitely very reasonable. Absolutely. As a single person, yeah, it might be a little bit tougher, but rule of any finance thing is you got to pay yourself first. Having at least, at least three to six months emergency cash reserve. You don't know what might happen in terms of work. A lot of people might have experienced something recently because of covid you had a, a Hail Mary of CRB, then CRB, and then all these other yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. subsidies that came into play, which was heavenly for a lot of people. But having that kind of paying yourself first um, to have something there to pay finance you should something happen um, is a great rule of thumb. Um, and if you decide that for whatever reason, 500 isn't manageable, just take a little bit longer in terms of time. There's, you don't need to rush the clock. The biggest concern when buying a home is coming up with that down payment and closing costs. Otherwise, your rent and, and uh, other expenses for the most part are very similar. Um, but at the very least, you're building equity into the home. Um, and then there's also the other added point of... Um, the risk that you might be taking in case you can't um, make the mortgage payments, um, which is, yes, an argument to be made, but you're assuming that you're going to also be able to make rent payments. Otherwise, you're out on the street, right, and that's yes. another risk as well. Wow. Okay. So when you really break it down like that, man, it, it really is realistic, and I always find myself in these situations where it's like, if I if I just sat and talked to someone who knows what they're talking about, they could save me so much hassle and time. Like their solution seems so straightforward. You know what I mean? But it's like, these are just things that many people don't really know or wouldn't even know where to look for. So, it, so a lot of finance. So I'm a very logical person. I just tell you the numbers. Look, if you do these numbers, you're fine. Um, but at the same time, Markets are, are also a very emotional game. You could see, uh, like, for example, COVID happened from top to bottom. 
markets dropped over 35% um, in a matter of weeks, okay? Somebody looking at this and, and seeing this, let's say, if, if they were holding just stocks in their account um, and they saw their retirement savings, their lifetime savings drop by 35%, some people will get very depressed. And oh, that's, absolutely. Um, so, so it's easier to say it as, look, these are the numbers. If you follow the course over the long term, you'll be great. There is obviously an emotional aspect to be taken into consideration. Um, and I'll, I'll help all my clients with the emotional aspect of things, get them prepared for what might be coming. So, for example, for my clients, I was preaching since uh, end of 2018 that we're due for a market correction. Um, we took a lot more of a safer approach with uh, our investment holdings because of that. Um, and lo and behold, COVID hit. We didn't expect the correction because of COVID, but a correction is a correction nonetheless. So not only did we lose a lot less money, but we had so much safety there that we were able to pick up stocks at a discount and make more money. So so wow. it's this idea of always being prepared for a worst-case scenario. Um, there's, there's a famous quote by Baron Rothschild, okay, where he said, uh, you should be buying, uh, when there's blood in the streets, you should be buying even if it's your own blood. And, and that struck me so hard. Um, just because it's true. You go and you look at a company like RBC. Worst case scenario, they run into issues. Government's going to have to bail them out. Otherwise, Canada as an economy is going to have some serious issues. Yeah. So you're not worried about where the price is today. You're worried about where the price is going to be 10 years down the road from now. So it makes such a simple uh, decision. And then also on top of that, um, a little... Uh, bit of information dividends are quoted in dollar amounts and converted to percentages for our ease okay so rbc as an example it's at a hundred dollars paying almost four dollars in dividends when their stock price dropped um let's say it dropped by 50 percent, so it's now 50 dollars. that four dollar dividend is now eight percent so you hold on to rbc this company that's going to be around forever and as if you buy it at $50, you're always getting paid at least 8% every year for the rest of your life. And that, to people, is a no-brainer, right? 8% every year guaranteed, that's brilliant. I'm done. Sign me up. Um, and that's how, and that's exactly what we did for a lot of our clients. Um, so having this plan in place to deal with the emotions, to react to the market as opposed to um, necessarily trying to time the market um, is a good way to manage um, the emotions, deal with the risk involved in the portfolio, um, and grow it at a safe and reasonable rate. Wow, very interesting, man. This has been a great conversation. I'm definitely going to be hitting you up after this because I feel like I need more guidance in my life when it comes to this kind of stuff, and it feels like, you know, you could always be doing better if you have an expert by your side. I think that's what I'm learning as I get through this. Uh, you can try to learn it yourself, uh, and some people effectively do that. But ultimately, you need someone who is a professional, I think, to, to do this best for you. So anyone who's looking to get into this kind of stuff, I highly, highly recommend Andrew. Um, I mean, you know, there's a few we people are in the community. 
you are hiring. Yeah, we're we're hiring. Like we did phase one of recruitment, um, and we're we're still looking for uh, um, some individuals to start in January. Managing expectations, really. I I said it at the beginning. This is a challenging industry. It really, really is, and but it works. Yeah. If you put your head down and you really do the work involved, it does work. Um, and you need to be coachable. Um, but yeah, if if this is something that you're looking to really get into, I don't mind having a chat with people, um, giving them a little bit more insight about uh, who we are, what would be expected in the industry as a whole, and things like that. Information is key. Yeah, um, amazing. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. He's looking for people. This is a great person to be working under to learn from. I think that you'll really find value in it. And and if you're listening to this and you have a business and you want to pick Andrew's brain, he's very, very approachable. You just reach out to either one of us and, and we'll make it happen for you. So, uh, Andrew, with that being said, man, I just want to say thank you so much again for all your time. It was very insightful. I learned so much today. Um, thank you so much, man. You had, you had me really on the edge of my chair tonight. Honestly, it's my pleasure. I figured... Like uh, throw to throw it out to you, I figured I'd th- I'd I'd give you um, my best today just because I've literally listened to every single one of your podcasts. Wow! And I'm I'm uh, inspired by what you do. First, man, I appreciate that. My my selling point, to be honest, was you got my brother on here, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, he got my brother's time. He must be doing something great. And I listen to it <laughs> and I genuinely think that what you're doing is incredible because oh, I man, myself I was that. one of those people that got trapped in the Egyptian mentality of you got to go to med school. You got to go to med school. And my Lord, I would probably be smashing my head against the wall if I did become adopted. <laughs> so, so, yeah, especially I, this year, especially this year. Exactly. So I respect everything that you're doing. And honestly, Thank you so much for that because a lot of people need the guidance and and the know-how about what else is actually there and available for them yeah. and be great at it. Man, I, I honestly really appreciate that, Andrew. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. No worries. Wish you all the best, Fetty. Thank Take you, man. Have, have yourself a good night. Take care. You too. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Michael, man, that was probably the the single most informative slash insightful interview i had i felt like i was really learning uh with andrew and he was teaching me a lot of things there so i hope you guys learned a lot from it as well Uh, if you are looking to get in touch with andrew for services or even for a job like i said just let me know i think um having him by your side to save money you know to build you know equity to do whatever you need to do he's really good at that you know if you're a business person who's trying to save some money he's really good with that i know a personal friend of mine who actually does go to Andrew for for anything business related and he speaks really highly of him Uh, so I I I definitely recommend you hit him up or you hit me up and I'll make the introduction for you with that being said ladies and gentlemen you know where to find us on listener Apple Podcasts, and Spotify and I'll come at you on the next episode